0: Welcome to Oz Property Investors, where you're smart and no BS friends who tell you the most interesting stuff going on in property. Join your host Jeff Miles, former mortgage broker and property developer, alongside Joe Tucker, Director of Property Principles Buyer's Agency, as they interview some of Australia's top property experts and commentators, so we can all become better property investors together. And we are live on Oz Property Invest. We bring the big names
1: and we have the big fun. And we've got uh, Mr. Mr. Master Negotiator here. Mr. What's that? Daniel, Is it Daniel's son? Is he the main guy in Karate Kid?
2: Yeah. I don't know. I thought you were going to forget my name then. You're like, Mr. 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 Oh, Mr. Mr. Miyagi. Mr. Miyagi.
0: <laughs> How
2: are you going anyway, Scott? Scott Miyagi. I am going enormous. Thank you. I'm, I'm doing really well. And you guys? Yeah,
1: feeling that uh, I'm I'm excited to have um, have jumped jumped across and and now starting to implement a lot of the stuff that you talk about. So I, I've, I'm going to learn a lot tonight. I'm, I'm going to be a bit of a bit of a student and hope as the poster suggested. So I'm excited. It's um, yeah, getting some renos done as well. So everything is happening in life. How about you, Joe? You found your bag yet?
0: mate i'm absolutely i'm absolutely fine i did not expect to make it onto this call until about half past i just landed in perth we're doing a little boots on the ground adventure which is super fun but somebody i i went to the carousel and i grabbed someone else's bag and i like, oops that's a mistake sorry i'm gonna put that back it's obviously not my bag it was identical to my bag and then we just stood there waiting and this one bag is just circling around i'm like yeah nah he's taken my bag and then gone off so I actually expected it to be very, very late, um, cool. but I made it just on time. Glad um, you made it on time. It was, totally you,
2: was your bag sans tonight?
0: Yes. <laughs> well, <time's Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, no, to it, tonight. it was. Yeah, it was rubbish. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We are here to unpack the way of the negotiation, which I feel like this is. It's such a massive like topic I think so we've had you on a couple of times Scott talking about different areas of it um, but I'm keen to unpack as the market starts to shift as sentiment starts to change uh, you know is that happening across the board how are, how are agents reacting what are some of the ways that we can take advantage of it as investors ourselves so I'm I'm keen um, you know, how I, about I you Jeff I think the reason I was
1: excited as well is because I still see I still see people put up posts about how to negotiate and and it's not everybody sort of gets access or has seen this information. So that's what—that's mm. why I think there's so much value in bringing you on um, to have this conversation because you learn something new and different every time. So throw yeah. questions, comments. Yeah. And if you're watching on YouTube, yeah. we love – yeah, give us a like and give us a love, whatever you guys do.
2: Just no abuse. Just don't abuse me online with comments. I've got very thin skin. Ah, uh, mm. it's okay. Okay. More don't than me. Normally it's all good banter, Um, and also after Joey's post, or it might have been yours, Jeff, yesterday on um, AGI about your top negotiation tips. I sent you guys a um, a little working doc today. I don't know if you want to go through that or not at all, but I was really interested interested to see what you know people put up as their go to strategies, their negotiation tips of advice, and the rest of it. And um, I'm quite interested whether we do that tonight or another time to unpack that because. There's some really interesting responses there about yeah. um, you know, how people approach this delicate subject that I love. And um, yeah, I'm happy to kind of uh debunk some of those if you guys are open to it or talk about them openly. My favorite
0: my favorite one in that list was uh speak directly with the vendor. <laughs>
2: yes. <laughs> wow,
0: okay. Good. If you can, give it a shot, give it a whirl. Um I just haven't haven't managed to do that very many times. Um, but Not the quote of the week, Scotty Aggett, what is your quote of the week, my man?
2: Well, my quote is just about living life. Having come back from a nice, relaxing family holiday, I'm pretty chilled at the moment. I haven't been away for a month, so feeling very grateful for that. Mm-hmm. My quote is, don't live the same year 75 times and call it a life. Ooh, yeah, and it's because cool. I just love embracing change like you know I feel very zen from being away but um I came back from holidays ready to rip in and and you know wherever this year takes me and I love that that every year you kind of start like it's another year of growth going in different directions so I'm all about that so
0: I don't want to um sit still in life Mm. in general. 100%. That's a great quote. And I don't think that that, that's definitely not how you operate as well. I mean, you created a business that is negotiation as a service that doesn't exist. You just created this business because you were incredibly good at it. And you've created a thriving, thriving business that hires multiple people. It's it's unreal. Um, And now you're doing a massive development. Um, You don't do the stock standard and you live life on your own terms. And I respect that a lot. What about you, Jeff? What about your um, little quote of the week?
1: I got, I got a very – last week my quote was a bit fluffy. This week I, I got a bit serious and I said, Every, everything is negotiable. Whether or not the negotiation is easy or not is another thing by Carrie Fisher. So, I mean, for the – yeah, fans of Carrie out there, I think that one is really hits home because the, there's so many things that we, we're afraid to negotiate or we don't think that we can. And we definitely can. It's just do you what, – what, what are the consequences of, A, losing that negotiation or even B, like how how much work and, and energy do you want to put into that? Is it worth it? Is there something you can do? like property? We'll throw throw it to mm. property because that's what we all love chatting about. If you put your time or put all your time in, into one this one property that you're sort of on the fence about, is there just mm. another opportunity just around the corner? Is there another bus to catch? Um, so that's kind of my approach. Nice, I like yeah, I like it, mate. What about you, Joe? What, what are you What are you up to? What's your quote?
0: Um. Well, I just had a a very stressful uh, hour um, trying to find this bag, trying to do all of this stuff. Um, So I didn't prepare a quote, Um, but I was thinking about it. I think this is why I like negotiating so much is I just keep calm when everything's going crazy. Like we had to call up the person, we had to get the person's details, call them up to organize all the stuff and then, it's you know, it's, it's the worst situation because we've got all of the stuff in the bag and it's got my computer and blah, 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 blah. Actually, no, I had to make a computer on me anyway, keep calm and carry on. Um, I think in negotiations, especially you've got to be calm. You can't be, Oh, you know what? I'm just going to pull the pin and, and run. You can say those type of things, but you're not getting aggressive with the agents. You're not, you're, you're calm throughout the entire situation. You're, uh, I don't know, Scott, would it be fair to say unemotionless? Like, in, in certain negotiations? I think um, being measured is really
2: underrated with your responses. So being calm is one thing because, you know, you, could, you can really take the pressure off a situation and um, don't let your emotions kind of boil over and control the outcome. But being really measured with your responses and know when to say certain things or when to let them slip, as Jeff just said then, because you're constantly in negotiations throughout the day. Now, whether that's dealing with, retrieving a lost bag or whether it's um, arguing with kids like we Jeff and I do probably all the time and, uh, and lots of other things at work and, and with friends and, or your partner. So, yeah, it's understanding how to be measured and, and not get carried away whilst you remain calm. But calm is a great thing. Like That's a huge step in the right direction, isn't it, to um, being master of your own destiny in terms of um, winning a negotiation or
0: controlling a negotiation. 100%. Yeah, well said. And another great quote from Brian, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Love that, hundred percent true. And, and if anyone has any top um top negotiation tips um that they that they use that they want to chat about throughout the course of this you know conversation that we're having, we won't jump into them straight away. But throw in what is your kind of top negotiation tips or what are your thoughts about? you know, throwing those at it. I promise we'll be kind. We'll be... I'll make sure... i uh, will promise
1: Scotty he's not going to not gonna bite your head off for throwing for in there. We'll, we'll be gentle. No, I'm naming names. I've got names. I've got everything
2: ready to go. I'm like... It's like ACA here. I'm naming names, you know. <laughs> you to, get to get
0: chase to him down me. with a camera.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm
0: running down the driveway over the top of the fence.
2: But, talk, but Mr. Tucker, you said... Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 won't, I, I, I would be very kind, but I think it's good. It's healthy to... Mm-hmm. Um, it's to debate these things openly, right? Talk about them and get a different opinion from them because this is the thing, right? You've got a really great community of like-minded people that are um, very interested in in the art of buying and selling property and building wealth through property, which is awesome. And I'm very grateful to be part of that community like you guys as well. And I get so much from that and so much positive energy from it as well. But it's interesting when people have only transacted a few times or maybe um, multiple times over a long period um, and they're very quick to give deep domain experience responses about certain subjects. And it could be finance, it could be development, it could be whatever. Negotiation is all we're talking about tonight in that regard and, you know, my skill set in particular. But, um, yeah, so I'm quite passionate about that. And and I think, you know, as we've spoken a lot on on the show over the last couple of years, when I've been on is, you know, it's best to be honest, transparent, and then we can all learn from these things. And I'm not necessarily got all the answers um, you know other people have got different opinions and have had great success which I totally respect but it's great to workshop these things and try and grow you know from from any one of the expert guests that comes on because you don't just want to be reading all of the responses and then take that as gospel truth because there's just a lot of um, average advice unfortunately that gets thrown in the mix and I just wanted to you know work on some of those things whenever you want to talk about it and um, yeah and write some of those and and give you a different opinion so people have a second a second point to review
0: yeah 100 and that's why we created this group right i mean we we get to just sit down with experts like you and and have a chat um but the value is for anyone that's live right now you can just jump on throw some comments and say hey what do you think of this strategy hey i tried this strategy it worked really well but what about universally how do you see that working all of these things guys chuck them in the comments um but we are going to jump into this session and talk about all things property negotiation, how to negotiate in a market like this, how to come back from a negotiation after it's been either rejected or shifted. Um, so I am keen to unpack it. And some That's case studies. It.
1: How good are case studies? Oh,
0: oh, and case studies.
2: Yeah. I'm bringing um, the
0: heat. up. Yeah. <laughs> this live session is sponsored by Scott Aggett from Hello House. Scott has created the world's first property negotiation as a service business. So what does that mean? Well, let's think about it. When was the last time you negotiated on anything over $100, let alone a property that is going to be one of the biggest investments of your life? The vendor, they have a trained negotiator on their side in the form of a real estate agent. That's kind of like you stepping into the ring with Mike Tyson after never training a day of boxing in your life. These guys are trained professionals, and that's what they do day in and day out and this is what hella house does every single day as well they negotiate on property to get the best buy price from the real estate agents scott agate he's the expert negotiator he has been in this industry since 1995 he owned and operated three bell franchises scott was the guy that was teaching these real estate agents all these agent games he knows all of their tricks having him on your side is going to give you a massive unfair advantage and literally save you tens of thousands of dollars Unlike other ways of purchasing property, Scott's incentives are aligned with you, the buyer, meaning the more money he saves you, the more money he makes, which is what you want. You need to have those incentives aligned. Scott has kindly offered our group a massive discount on the retainer fee for his service. So if you're looking to buy your next home or investment property, click the link below to get in touch.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's just me here. I'm back. I just, I just wanted to leave leave want to leave you hanging there, Joe. But no, so if for those of you who haven't seen or heard from Scott, you must have been living under a rock because he's he's been on things such as the project, You've been on, I mean, numerous, I've seen your, your name pop up day in, day out. But you are, you've you've been active in buying, selling, negotiating real estate for decades. As in 25 plus, I think it's up to 27 years now, maybe 28 yeah, twenty eight. nineteen ninety five. Yeah, I said it in the ad, didn't it? So, and, oh. and you're balancing the needs of all sides. So I think that's something that is really underappreciated in negotiation. Often there's the people who just go in hard and fast with a deadline. It's like if here's my offer. If you reject, if you don't accept it by this date, then I'm out. Which I mean, I don't think it necessarily works that well. But you've overseen seen thousands of property transactions. So, and the other thing is, you're passionate about. and You created a course for the Get Buyer Ready. Um, but you're also a dad and a keen traveller. So, um, but you're also you're keen to see that people don't overpay. So, that's why I, I love. I mean, I, I don't know what else there is that you haven't done or aren't doing at the moment. <laughs> Development, million dollar developments as well. So, is there anything you you haven't done, Scott? Oh, plenty I haven't done.
2: Plenty of things. But yeah, it's been a busy um, last. 10 years or so since I've got out of um, the real estate game or eight years or so, probably since I left that. Yeah, it's exciting. The negotiation stuff just lights me up there. So I really enjoy that. And I don't really feel like it's work. Like I just, I really enjoy that process. Um, it's fun. And then, you know, having a business like this means um, like Joey as well with what you're doing, then you get to get around, meet lots of new people, lots of cool people, get to do a bit of travel as well. So, it's fun. so I'm, yeah, I'm feeling um, sprightly and, uh, you know, full life. 45 right.
0: and <laughs> Feeling fine. Mate, yeah, I, I want to kind of understand how, because you literally are dealing with agents every day. You're negotiating with real estate agents every single day, on and on and on and on. And there has been a bit of a shift in the market sentiment, definitely in the market sentiment. Um, how are you finding it across Australia? Because I imagine you're buying in... Every, every state I imagine you're helping clients buy. how are you seeing this? What is it looking like out there on the grounds um, from a property market standpoint?
2: Well, I deal with investors and owner occupiers. so I'm not just looking at growth, you know hot spots and the rest of it, which can be super competitive in any market to buy. You and I both know in Western Australia, for example, it's pretty hot in certain pockets because there's mm-hmm. lots of buyers' agents and other people that are loading into those areas and driving up the prices and um, not a huge amount of stock in certain spots but in because i get to trade in lots of different areas that i get to see a really good cross-section of the marketplace so when you're buying at different price ranges as well that also gives you a different insight into the market so we all we say this every time i'm on and i'm sure lots of your guests say the same thing there's markets within markets so there is no one australian property market but in general the hot spot areas and um i bought today in perth um, near Rockingham, that's really competitive. Like there's lots of buyer interest there. Agents sell things really quickly. Things are typically selling above the range. Um, mm-hmm. So you've got to go in your garden. Negotiation is, is key. And um, building uh, rapport with agents, getting to listings at a much earlier stage to knock out your competition is critical to buying well. So we do a lot of work coaching clients on the find aspect of that, which is interesting. In the other states at the moment, it's not so much. Like we you know, we've seen that sort of shoulder season, as I talk to a lot, um, and that softening in the market and that rebalance in pricing. Um, And there I found agents are chasing me in some instances. Um, You know, you get to the right point, though, with market value. In most parts of Australia, there's still enough buyer depth there that it can be competitive at the final hurdle. So, you know, I'm buying in Brisbane um, a reasonable amount and there's still buyers, there's still plenty of buyer activity in Brisbane. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you get to the top, lofty expectations of where the owner is at, and there's there's clear air. You drop down to maybe five to seven percent below that, and there's probably three or four buyers on almost every property that I'm competing against. So it's then just that balance of trying to match up where your client is and where the vendor's expectations are to try and get a deal. So yeah, there's interesting dynamics, and that's what makes this this job so interesting for me because it's it's just a constant change, right? There's there's um, what's going on in the economy and what's going on in the interest rates and general market conditions nationwide but then within all these pockets and different price points it, you know every phone call for me is different like i'm you, you go from thinking oh i just that was a walk-up start i bought that property really easily i had no competition the next one will be easy and then the next one you've got five people It's a contract race by three o'clock this afternoon and you're all go at full speed and you've got to deploy a different set of skills or a different strategy um, to get the deal done. And often it's a strategy that changes on the run. And that's something that I think um, came up in the feedback from what are your best negotiation tips that people were talking about that, you know, stick to your strategy. And I, I find that that's actually inaccurate having done this a hell of a lot. That I'll yeah. So what do,
0: you, what do you, yeah. What do you mean? I see well, what I'll start
2: a particular strategy that I think is going to work in that situation, but if it doesn't work, then live, I've got to change. And if you don't change, you miss the property, Right. Um, so, if you're going to do a lot of due diligence on a property, you're doing that for a reason because you've identified it that it ticks a lot of your boxes, whether that's home or for investment purposes. So, anyone that's just building one strategy and says, Okay, well, that didn't work, so you know, on to the next one, I think is wasting a lot of energy and time because I just go, Okay, well, that didn't work, deep breath as you said, calm, and then where do I go from here? Where is the opportunity here for me to unlock? Now, is that me having to put my money on the table? Is that me having to come at it from a different angle with different terms? Um, You know, is that me having to use leverage or doing something different that I hadn't done the first time around? So I think you have to adapt on the run, and that's, um, yeah, that's the fun part of it, but I think that's a, a, a bit of what a lot of inexperienced negotiators or property buyers don't quite understand.
1: When 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 you say leverage, uh, what, what what sort of what what are examples of leverage? I've got a
2: gun, and if you don't give me the keys, I'll shoot you in the head. Yeah,
1: <laughs> well, that's that is that is one example. So what what, what some yeah.
2: casual and calm along those lines? Yeah.
0: It's, yeah, exactly. As long as you're calm, that's all that matters. Yeah. I
2: right, will kill you. Yeah, just kind of <laughs> settle like, like in a real casual manner. No, um, leverage is um, it, could, it could be multiple ways that you use it, but typically how. I use it is I'm baiting from the very first conversation that I talk to an agent. So I'll ring up an agent and say, hey Jeff, um, I see you've got uh, this property, blah, 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 that we're interested in. Um, I've got a client that's, that's uh, really interested. It looks like it's a nice property on paper. I'll ask a couple of qualifying questions to get the information I'll need. I'll build rapport, so I'll start joking with them or try and break the ice and get some sort of relationship going with them on the phone. So there's, there's more to it than just an analytical approach. Um, I'll get the information I can out of them as best I possibly can in a short time, and then I will typically say, "Well, we're a long way down the path with property X, or you know, another property that's off market." And you've heard me talk about this loss before, but how to set this up? But you know, I, I will say to them that um, we're under offer at that property. Uh, we have to have a decision by X. It's not me. It's them. I pass that buck to a third party. And that is the leverage that I can use there. So that's typically how I, I do that. For me, I don't do it on every, on every deal because it just the circumstances change all the time. But that gets us tremendous results because as soon as you reverse that fear of loss, you put time pressure on that seller, um, especially in this market, if they haven't got another buyer or um, they want to get a result quickly because they've purchased already and um, they're super motivated, then that leverage just drives far better outcomes for us really quickly.
1: Can can we get? I want to go a little bit off uh, off topic ad lib here because what? How do you how do you typically approach a situation where you've got? Um, because I'm sure some people are seen this where you've got um, an agent that's sort of they're about to take it open and they will take it open, but they they're saying they've got multiple offers already written offers, so not just yep. verbal. How do you then sort of, how do you com- combat that? Do you just say, well, okay, well, what, what pro- what's a buy price today? Do you then sort of, you leverage it or do you sort of, they're going to run their process. How do you run, how do you approach that typically?
2: Well, you, you definitely are. I, that's part of my qualifying questions is what will buy it today? Um, yep. Is the seller ready to trade now or do they need to see the market? Um, yep. If you've got other offers on the table, I'll try every single way I can to find out what the highest offer is that they've rejected or what the highest offer is that they're holding in their hand. Um, one of the key things I want to know is, are those offers even in terms of, you know, are they all unconditional or are they all on a 30-day settlement, not subject to sale? Are they all with a 5% or a 10% deposit? Yeah. There's so many variables because often an agent will say to me, oh, we've got another offer. I'll say, okay, cool. And I'll try and use that as pressure against us. And then I'll ask those questions to unpack it. And they'll like, mm-hmm. oh, oh yeah, it's subject to the sale of their house. I'm like, okay, well, you don't have another like That offer is not worth the paper it's written on, basically. So I know that I can negotiate hard because... They're unwilling to accept an offer that's subject to someone else's sale and in a chain. So asking those questions and trying to establish whether or not there's a seller here that actually will trade, at what price they will trade at, what your real competition is, is at any given time. Um, so if you've got that information, then you can really piece it together that it's, if it's worth you being involved. But I would say to you that if you're seeing those properties, it's not always the case. It's not easy to do this. But um, if you're getting to a situation where you're finding these properties and they've already got multiple offers on it, you're doing it wrong, you're buying property wrong. So you should be seeing these properties by building a pre and off market strategy Mm -hmm. to get to these opportunities before they exist on real estate or domain. Um, It is absolutely possible to do if you you actually spend some time and strategize around how to do it. It costs no money. It'll create, you know, up to 40% more opportunities. And you, the biggest benefit from not only seeing the whole market, the biggest benefit is you knock out your buyer competition potentially or a vast majority of it but more importantly, you meet the motivated sellers that are either nervous sellers and that will just take the first offer they can get, or you meet the people that have bought already and you know, they're under extreme pressure like that to act fast. To give you an example, the one that we bought in Western Australia today, um, we had a market estimate of a 5.50 and we bought it with one offer at 5.20. So we bought it $30,000 under what we thought it was, what it was worth. Um, that's a nice story, that's all good, but the reason, the reason this one is exciting for us is because our client, actually the Bushy referred to us, so thanks Bushy if you're watching, um, <laughs> our client applied my BCC email and SMS, which is what I've spoken to you guys about lots and is part of our Get Buy Ready course in the Find section, um, and built rapport with a whole of the agents. The agent um, had got his, so he'd been on the market for 10 days, he'd sent that BCC email twice. He got the email or SMS as he just left the appraisal and signed the document and rang our client straight away and said, oh, I've just got your email or SMS. Um, I've got this property. I've just listed it. And then we bought that one-on-one with no competition. We made one offer below what it was worth. And they took it because they were 80 owner-occupiers and they'd already bought a property for a million bucks down the road from the same agent. So all they wanted was just ease. And that's that's the thing, right? Like we, and that is a really booming market in around Rockingham, Waikiki. It is,
1: yeah. yeah. I've seen, I've, I've seen, I've seen some properties. I look at it in the morning, and I'm like, uh, I look in the afternoon, and it's already under offer. I'm like, oh, geez, I didn't, I didn't yeah. even, yeah. I mean, I wasn't even that keen on the property. I was like, oh, you know, I'll give, give it a call, see what's going to go for. And,
2: well, we missed one yeah. the day before in, in Waikiki where we made an offer of four fifteen, and the agent um, later that night uh, or following day, actually, the following day sent a, you know, uh, text message to every buyer and said, the um, uh, negotiation over, um, open for inspection, cancelled, property sold. And I'm like, well, no one, no one even negotiated with you. Like, we put an offer in and we never heard back from you. Like, you didn't even respond. And I rang the agent and I pitched and moaned about it and said, this is a horrible process. And he said, well, you know, we were quoting like 439 to 459 and someone paid way over 460 for it. And everyone else was in the low fours, so we just sold it. And that's what you're competing against, right? You're competing okay. against that situation you just said, that if you get into that dogfight, you're going to pay an emotional premium. You're competing against emotional end users or investors that don't have a clue and aren't doing the same level of due diligence or really lazy buyer's agents that is loading into areas and just paying whatever they have to pay to get a quick deal okay. done. Um, so the rest okay. of us, Joey included, who actually do the research and you know fight for the best price, Um, you know in that situation it makes it difficult to save money and you want to buy property at the right level so getting to those opportunities um, faster is really important
0: yeah it's a market that you don't even see like that transaction no one's going to know about that transaction it didn't go on realestate.com it didn't go on domain you're not even going to know that that exists and that comes up all the time and it's just it is just it's a it's a bit of work like it is relationships and emails and following up and all of that fun stuff one thing that that i just wanted to cycle back to you're talking about how to get the the, the price from the agent um because let's say he's got two or three offers on on board already how do you kind of because you were saying like yeah we have got to ask some questions to pull that out of him how do you kind of pull that kind of price out because i guess that's probably a super useful tool if your price if you know you know what your walk away price is right you set that in your own head it's at 550 and then the agent pulls it out we've already got offers at 560 um, but how do you get that out of them essentially is the question well it depends on the state
2: because in some states and depends on the method of sale they won't tell you so that's difficult because they can't buy law for Queensland for example um, so it's difficult to get it out so that makes it harder and I've got to ask more questions and sometimes it's just asking lots of questions and being persistent until they give you some sort of idea of where it needs to sit. Um, But in most cases, I'll just say, hey, Joe, um, where you're at in this one, you're going to tell me that you've got three offers already. I'll say, great, what are you quoting? And you'll say, um, you know, 500 plus. i say, okay, great. Um, And where do you think it's going to land? Oh, I don't know. You know, like the market will determine that. We've got heaps of interest in it already. We're going to open it this Saturday, as Jeff just said. And we expect, you know, we've had 50 inquiries online already about it. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. What's the situation with the seller, Joe? Like, where are they at? Oh, you know, they've, they've bought already or they haven't bought already. Okay, cool. What settlement do they want? And I start to build rapport at that point. Okay, great. And then I'll drop into the mix. Um, so where do you think it sits? Where do you think it sits? Oh, it's not me. It's the market that will determine it. Sometimes the agent when I ask that question will say, oh, I reckon 540, we probably I can't see it going over 540 or, you know, based on 12 Smith Street selling last week for 535, we might get 540, 550 for it at best. Um, but, you know, who knows? So they're already giving you an insight as to where they think it's going to land or where they'll start to push the vendor to say, if we had an offer in that range, there's a good chance the agent's on board with you to try and push that through for a sale. Um, so there's there's lots of different ways of, oh, I'll my pen at myself. There's lots of different ways to ask those questions and try and um, derive that information. But I just ask mm-hmm. them blunt questions after I build rapport and, and try and get straight answers out of them. And then if I can't get anything, if I get that far, and I still haven't got any information out of them. I will say to them, um, look, the property that I said to you that we're under offer for down the road is at five twenty. Um, they may have a little bit more in the tank than that, but we're, we're all set at 520 on a similar property. Will 520 buy it or are we wasting our time? Should I go buy that property? Uh, no, 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 no. You're not wasting your time, you know, come on. Or, yeah, you're wasting your time. Okay, great. So it's not offers over 500, it's offers over 520, right? So you already know. Now, you can set that boat track wherever you want to. You don't want to set it too high because if you say we're under offer at 540 down the road, well, then you're kind of giving them indication that you might pay 540 if you tell them it's a very similar property. So... I bait them like that um, and I'm not talking about how much we'll spend on this property but I'm telling them about how much we're already spending on the other one and does that engage them to get an answer of yes, you're wasting your time or no, you're not. A lot of agents when you go to that level of detail will say that straight mm-hmm. up to you and just say, you're wasting your time on this one if you've yeah. got expectations of that or no, it's worth a shot, come along on Sunday and see it.
1: And when somebody says you're wasting wasting their time, do you then just sort of put that in the, well, maybe we'll circle back? If if it doesn't sell, is that the or do you just forget about it altogether? In that example, if
2: I thought it was worth five fifty with our research, and I said to them five twenty five thirty, for example, as the bait price, and they said it's wasting your time, I'd give up on that property and move on, because yep. if That's they kind of if, if we were that close, they'd engage us and and they'd get you there to the open for inspection. That says to me that their expectations are probably high five six hundred, and that you're wasting your time at least wasting your time in week one. You know, that doesn't mean you don't circle back to it, you know, 10 days time or whatever and keep an eye on it and monitor it. You may still go to the open inspection anyway, just to watch what's happening in the market and see that property. Um, so you will keep tabs on it and you stay in the game, but it's probably not one that I would chase hard. And I'd say that openly to our clients, like if they've said to me, no, at that price point, I would think their expectations based on that are here because my experience as an agent, I would keep focusing on trying to find another opportunity to better.
0: Yeah, And then you would also understand the terms of the vendor as well. The vendor saying, hey, I don't really have a reason to sell. I'm just kind of looking for the best price. Great. They're not a motivated seller. It's probably, you know, wasting. It is, like you're saying, wasting your wasting your time there. Most um, agents
2: yeah. don't get asked those questions. Like people didn't come to me all the time or open for inspections afterwards and drill me about the vendor and the circumstances and the timing. They just don't. They go through it. They fall in love with it or they like it if it's an investment. And then they put an offer on the table and they've got no time pressure, no leverage, no understanding of what the motivation is for the seller. And it's just left flapping in the breeze. Now, one of the other negotiation um, tips that was given from one of the other people in the group um, yesterday on to your response was uh, I, I make a 48-hour offer deadline. Well, guess what? If you make a 48-hour offer deadline to an agent, that gives me as the agent 48 hours to use your offer against you to better it. So that's yeah. a silly ploy as well, in, in in my eyes, as an ex-agent. Like You don't want to give someone a set time frame because it just gives them parameters that they need to work to. So they can pick up the phone to all the other buyers and say, you got to have your offer in before X date because otherwise we're going to engage with this seller. So they're absolutely going to use it against you to better that price. So you so- better use the leverage and try and engage them in that fight right now rather than say, you know, I'll give you another day or another two days or whatever to think about it. It just you don't want to give them a time time delay. I don't think. I don't think it works in your favour.
0: Yeah, and so, yeah. I guess just cycling back, another thing that I think is is worthwhile when we're talking about the price of the the property. I was thinking about it um, while you're talking. Um, is you know what are some of the closest? Like if the agent doesn't want to tell you what they think the price is worth. Like I see this a lot of times where the listing price, especially in hot markets, it's 500. It's listed for 500. But if you know the market, you know that it's going for 530. And you know that this, like um, I was chatting to Jeff about this just, the, just uh, yesterday. There's an agent that is exactly 7%. You go through all of his listings of when he listed the property and then when he sold the property, it is exactly seven percent. So we know where this guy's endpoint is; it's at seven percent. Um, so a, a good question to jump on with agents is: um, uh, what What are some of the closest comparable sales you've got? And and um, what are you stacking in against? yeah how did you and then if they're like oh you know you can go onto domain and do your own research no no well how did you stack this up against with the vendor what were some of the comparables that you used for them and they're like oh well actually just letting you know i sold to smith street for 520 abc street for 520 another one for 525 that had a really nice pool. it's like okay cool now i can start to see where they've come up with their pricing um i I'm not going to secure this for $500,000, but I see value. Like you can start to form value and, and all of that. And the simple,
2: that, so you, you nailed it. Absolutely. That's exactly right. So the simplest way that I just ask that question is what's the best comp that you used? Because mm. like, and like just, you have to put all, the seller, what's the best comp you just used, you know, for this mm. house? And they have to, you put them on the spot right? and they're like, well you know, that's debatable and was, Well, not really. What's the best comp for this house? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Really, like, give us, give it's
0: us, give yeah. us. It's not, it's not yeah. debatable. Yeah, I like to pump on, um, pump them up, to pump up. Okay.
2: Yeah, a lot of agents say to us, um, oh, I don't know, like it will sell where it sells or um, I'm not the one buying it, you know, the market will determine it. It's like, well, no, by law, you have to pitch within a 10% range. So mm-hmm. I don't, you know, that's your opinion. I'm not holding you to that. But what's your opinion as to the best comparable sales this property? Help me out. And oh, I'm going to go to great lengths to get you the best possible price I can from my client. Now, of course, I'm not going to get the best possible price from my client. I'm trying to get it at the lowest possible price. But you just want to engage them and get that information out of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And also another thing to be, uh, as we start to shift into these kind of interesting interesting times, because um, that's what I wanted to unpack, like how you come back is that what we're talking about, Jeff? How do you come back from an offer? You put forward an offer. How do it, you know, it, it didn't go the way that you wanted to. And then we can come back and get it at a potentially better price. Um, it, let's, let's talk about
1: renegotiating because you, you've done it a few times. Then we'll, and then we'll get onto some case studies, I think.
2: Yeah, well, I floated that idea because I think it was an interesting trend that I've seen in the, um, over the Christmas holidays. And as the markets continue to soften in most areas, um, I've seen it uh, for the first time in a couple of years, is that we've re- been rejected on offers, which happens all the time, right? That's a year-round thing in any market, That's you good. get offers rejected. But in the busier markets, you never see those properties again, right? Like you get rejected and then it sells for a much higher price to somebody else or someone else wraps something deal above you, whatever the price is. Um, in this instance, and it's, it was a trend because it happened to me three times in about 10 days, um, that we had offers rejected in the second half of December We stayed in the game. I follow up, as I always do if we have an offer rejected and we still got an interest in the property, track that, stay in touch, you know, a high level communication with the agent. It's not desperation. It's just, you know, we want to know what's happening in the market. We're tracking every sale, just checking back in, seeing what's happening with that. Anything change with a better offer than we made anything change with the vendor or circumstances not great cool chat to you next week again like it's that non-emotional and business-like for me so they don't get any sense of i'm going to pay any more money they just get a sense of he's still really interested with his client to buy this property so that you know that happened three times i came back this time um in january and said uh uh mr raggett you are you is your client still there like you know we're kind of open to talking to you again now and that's kind of music to a negotiator's ears was like ah oh, really okay cool sweet oh. let's dance
0: yeah. <laughs> your favorite call from your ad- your, your favorite yeah. agent yeah
2: exactly yes, let's dance
0: oh, terry good so to I hear love you that. again
2: exactly i love i love those calls so and in those instances there were three really different outcomes like three different sets of circumstances which i thought were worth unpacking we don't have to spend too much time on if you want to but some good case studies there and then i guess the key takeaway for me is understanding what you've got to do to get yourself prepped to make the ultimate offer up front and then how you stay in the game to get these opportunities for a second bite of the cherry without sounding like you're an emotional wreck and you're seriously committed to that property and then get caught in the situation where they come back for a second bite but because you're so hungry for it you end up overpaying you keep putting more money on the table and, and almost chasing the vendor because you get um, the door open and uh, another shot at the title so you know in, in each of these instances it played out differently but um, nothing changed in terms of our ice-cold response to it, and then we had to make a decision on whether we would increase, you know, hold them or fold them, basically, to, um, to make a decision. And that's based on – we're probably getting a little bit further ahead, but knowing whether, whether to hold them or fold them when you do get that second bite of the cherry is very much down to in-depth market knowledge because if you're tracking the market really closely – you understand how difficult it's going to be to replicate that asset. So each of the circumstances is always going to be different. There's no one-size-fits-all response to this that you can say as a negotiation strategy that if you get a second bite of the cherry, you should say this. It just doesn't work because everything's yeah. going to be different. The market's changing. The dynamics are out, which is the reason why they're calling you in the first place and it hasn't sold. The vendor's circumstances may have changed. Um, there may be other buyer interest at a lower point where you were, which means that even though you think you're the only buyer that they might have called back, in real terms, you might end up re-engaging with three or four other people and in a contract race at the price where you saw value the first time. So it changes all the time, but it's just making sure that you don't get um, emotionally carried away, but also, more importantly, making sure that you actually get the second bite of that cherry, and that's by staying in touch with these agents and being, as I say, a high-level communicator.
1: So, what, yeah, what's, so, when, one, when you, when you re engage, what sort of questions should you be asking?
0: Well, actually, before we, go, before we go to that, can we just unpack how you leave it at the end? Because, like, let's say my final walkaway price is $5.50. Um, you haven't told the agent what your walkaway price is. So, how do you actually leave the conversation and say, hey, Mr. Agent, I'm not where your vendor is at. I'm not at 560. Um, I just think it's best that we walk away. Um, you don't just throw out a 550, or what does the? How do you leave it? How do you kind of leave it alone without giving away your final number? So and the then most, we, you know, yeah, I get it. The the most
2: important thing is the setup, right, in terms of how you make that ultimate offer upfront, and that shouldn't change in any market conditions. So there's two things that are really crucial to this: it's understanding true market value. So you can't do anything smart unless you understand what it's truly worth in the market, okay? So that number may vary from the second important point, which is your target price or your walkaway number. I call it the target price, whatever your maximum line in the sand is that you're prepared to pay. So once you've got those two numbers, they may be the same number or they may vary greatly, then you can build a strategy around it. So what I like to do is I want to get in as fast as possible, time, this is another one of the points that came up in the, you know, my favorite negotiation tips that people put in there, that time is your friend, you know, just kind of let things lapse and it'll land in your court. There is nothing that I do that is left to chance, nothing at all, ever, forever, never gonna happen. It well, is and, and, and that's And that's because, the agent,
1: that's because the agent wants to sell. I mean, they yeah. wanna,
2: yeah. Yeah, you, you want to buy the property. And if, you, if you're serious about buying that property, you give it everything you possibly can as quickly as possible before someone else gets their foot in the door and makes that job harder for you. So. We establish market value, we establish our target price, we build a strategy, and then we go. So whether we use leverage or whatever it might be, we get to a level where we see value. Beyond that, the house doesn't have any interest for us, okay? So we don't have to say this is our max offer. We just get to that point where I say to the the agent, listen, it's got to a point where we're not comfortable paying anymore for the home. We don't see value beyond that level based on where we perceive um, opportunities to be in the marketplace elsewhere we're going to go take our chances now elsewhere because we perceive your vendor to be in la-la land on price we just we're not aligned um, but we're going to stay in touch because you know strange things happen we happen you know this happens all the time to us that the circumstances may change your end or our end whatever it may be let's be friends shake hands and and, and stay in touch good luck hopefully you get your price if you want so there's no animosity there's no bad blood there's no threat of, you've got 24 hours, otherwise I'm fucking off and you're never gonna see me again. Never, ever, ever like that. It's all really cordial. Someone else said in the group chat yesterday that minimal talk to agents, like don't engage with them. Well, that's, that's the opposite of how I negotiate. I'm a high level communicator, I'm highly personable with the, with the person that I'm engaging with. I wanna build rapport with them. It's all about building rapport with them and giving it a certain level of comfort so that they'll give me more information than I'm giving them. That's the whole game of negotiation. So how you can do that with limited touch points and being ice cold in that situation is beyond me in terms of a negotiation strategy from my level of experience anyway. Um, but once you get to that position where you've exhausted your offer, then I just shake hands as I say, and you leave it really cordial and you you go off into the sunset. So in this instance, they rejected our offers and then one by one, they came back on the other side. So. The other side of christmas the first one was they had we'd offered 640 on a property in regional victoria they had an offer of six hundred and eighty five thousand, which they accepted they went to contract because i had a rapport with the agent the agent said yeah i can happily tell you it was 685 the guy's going to shit in the finances we've been talking to his broker direct um everything's all lined up it'll go through no problem so sorry this one's gone let's focus on trying to find you guys something else i'm like okay cool thanks and we looked at everything else and then he rang me back and said mate the total unexpected happened. They, whatever reason, he couldn't get his finance, the deal crashed over. Will you pay 685? I'm like, Well, I don't see value at 685. Like we had all these conversations a month ago, right? Three weeks ago. <laughs> no. And then that process starts another negotiation. In that instance, it was a development. My client really wanted that particular property. Um, very, you know, aligned with the, the the. Anyway, long story short, absolutely wanted it. Couldn't replicate that very easily, and been looking for quite a while. And he was a developer, so there was a highest and best use for it. And a, he'd done all of his DD and fees on the rest of it. So we made a view to put more money on the table. We ended up spending fifteen thousand more and buying it for six fifty five. So we got the client down thirty thousand from six eighty five to six fifty five by having that, that second yeah. go out. So there was no emotion. Um, he didn't, you know, have any clue that we were, you know, heavily invested in that process other than the fact that we told him we absolutely want to buy this property. Like, and I always but say it, this how, how did
1: this, so how did you know that to come up an extra fifteen thousand? What was that? What was that
2: process? Well, first is I don't move on the price in that situation, and then there was just a hard no, so it's a Mexican standoff. And then it's trying to work out by feeling each other out really about where can it possibly land? Is your seller prepared yeah. to move off six eighty five? Yes. Okay.
1: Um, How much are they willing to make? I think I can get my buyer to move off 640. Okay,
2: well, can you get your buyer to, you know, 565 or 570? No. Can you get, you know, vice versa, blah, 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 blah. And then we end up saying, okay, well, you know, we ended up landing at 15,000. And that was a good outcome. It was below what we thought it was worth. Um, It was below what the buyer two weeks before that had um, gone to contract for. Um, Mm -hmm. So we felt that was a good outcome on that property. But again, that's in isolation. There's three completely different outcomes with these three case studies. The second one was, well, does that all make sense? First of all, we
0: yeah, no, that? that, that, that all makes perfect sense. Um, yeah. what one thing I wanted to just, just a little bit off, off the side here is I find so much value in, in what you just said there by being a professional to say, Hey, let me check with my vendor. I mean, they're going to go to their vendor, right? right? Agents use this all the time. Look, it's the vendor. They're all pushy. They're trying to do this. But on the buyer side, it's exactly the same thing. Scott, you you have your buyer and you can say, look, you know, the buyer is only willing to go to X. Um, it's no emotion between you and the, the vendor because there's a third party. You're the third party in the middle helping this transaction. How, how What are some ways that a normal everyday investor can kind of create that emotionless distance and and have that i don't know third party in a way i don't know is there a way but there is there is a way joe i need to i need to check with my
1: husband or wife or i need to check with my i i I need to check with my pop plane in the corner i need to check with somebody just my accountant my mortgage broker i need to make sure that i can make this happen because if i make you an offer i want to make sure it's a serious offer because we're wasting
2: everybody's time sound advice from Jeff, like you leverage some other external third party source. that Maybe can, not a potpucket. Yeah.
0: Well, whatever. And is that, is that valuable though in um, like, is it, would you recommend having a, a third party? Even if it's, I've got to check my wife. I look after this. She does the, that, that side of things. So when it comes to price, I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm just the middleman here. She does the price. I really like this property. You know, she really likes this property. So I just need to see where it is, you know, number wise with her. Cause she's the, she's,
2: we lost you joey say that again last 10 seconds
0: ah sorry um so you have your husband and wife and you just kind of create a divide you create a divide between the two of you and say they're they're the the number person i'm just here to help the transaction because i'm available right
2: yeah uh, look it it can be done if you're doing it one-on-one with an with an agent and you've just given us some good examples of how you could possibly workshop that into your negotiation but Hand on heart, and this isn't a sales pitch to get people to use Hello House or, um, you know, a buyer's agent or anyone else, but it is, it is really difficult to get that leverage that we're able to get as a professional third party if you're going it alone and you don't have that same skill set in terms of asking those questions. It, it is just easier. Like Even within the office for us, like um, you, know, I, you, you guys know my colleague Sam, who's a valuer and is incredibly switched on in, in the property stakes. Um, and knows all the questions that I ask and does the same things that I do when we talk to agents. But often'll we'll have, I'll have a conversation with the agent almost immediately after Sam and get a whole different set of answers than Sam will. So it, it, it's, there's just a, there's an art to it and it's, it''s it's done over time, right? Like it's a learned skill how to get that information out of people and how to use that as leverage. So if you are going to do it yourself, it is hard to do it. Um, because, you know, you, you've got to take time to talk about it, you, know, you know, go and seek advice or whatever you want to, but you can't take too much time because, you know, everyone else that's doing it professionally is moving really quick. So you've got to, yeah. you've got to be thinking ahead and strategizing while you're, you know, in those conversations. And sometimes i referred to this before, that there's no one strategy. So sometimes I'll say something to an agent and get a flat no or a wall. And okay, go, okay, I'm on the phone or I'm on Zoom or whatever it might be. What, what am I going to do next? You know I mean? How do I get over that wall? How do I get past that hard no? And you've got to re like, So you've got to know what other tools are at your disposal. And for a buyer that only does this once every 10 years, which is the average in Australia, or even someone that's done it three times in the last 10 years, you just don't have that skill set to draw upon really quickly to understand what is the percentage play to use at that particular moment that you know is going to get you a higher um, you know, than average result. So it is, it is difficult, but it can be done. I think you just got to really hone your skill by asking the right questions and being prepared to buy some time, like you said, Jeff there, and refer to another party. I don't know if that answered the question. We kind of got off track a tiny bit there.
1: Let's let's okay. get back to the case study. So case study one, you ended up buying it for, your initial offer was 540, bought it for 555. What was number two? How did it play out?
0: Give okay, us a bit of before, before we, sorry, I cut, second time I'm cutting you off, Jeff. The last time you had some some great questions, but I thought let's jump into our other sponsored posts. But what I would love to get as well is some comments from people um, chatting about this because I feel like the last someone wrote here this is awesome you're on fire i think it's just you scott you are just on fire today mate this little a half last half an hour is just solid solid how to negotiate on property and if you aren't doing these things there is somebody else doing it there's scott doing it and you are competing in the same market as him so good luck um but throw in any kind of questions throw in some examples of negotiations that that you think might you want to try out like as, as you're saying, Scott, like this is what we're trying to do, right? Educate everybody so that they can be great investors and they can go out there and do this themselves. What are some of the things you guys out there think that you're going to do? What do you want to try? And get some advice from Scott. Like This is the whole point of this. You guys are flying the wall of this conversation, but you can cool, join in. Ask me anything, AMA, q Oh, out. Scotty AMA. Okay, let's dive in. Um, and then... Even better. Oh, I'm still a big boy now. Um, we will unpack the the other two case studies and I'm excited for that. Let's do it. The amazing thing with commercial property investing is that in most cases it's cash flow positive from day one, which means that you can drive those profits towards paying down the debt. There are instances with commercial property investing where you can actually have the property pay itself off over 10 years, which is absolutely crazy. With commercial property, you get massive net yield, so you can expect anywhere between 6 to 10%. And as we've seen in the current boom, these properties not only provide large cash flow, they do certainly grow wildly in value too. Now, with big rewards comes some risk. And this is why you should de-risk your investment as much as possible. And the way you do that is with expert due diligence. And this is why we highly recommend people hire professionals to help you along in your investing journey. Steve Polisi of Polisi Property is one such expert. Being a chartered mechanical and structural engineer in a past life, Steve draws on his analytical and mathematical skills to do that expert due diligence for you. With six years experience in the space, Steve has over 1,200 property transactions under his belt. He's the guy you want in your corner, crunching the numbers and finding the best properties in the best locations, along with ensuring that you avoid the mistakes. Steve has actually even written the book on commercial property investing in Australia. And not only is it a bestseller, I believe it to be the most comprehensive in commercial property investing on the market today. He's been generous enough to give us a massive discount for our audience of 50%. So use the code OZPROP, click the link below, get a copy today and start learning and getting on your commercial property investing journey.
1: So I found out the other day, apparently Felizi also does the residential one at, at the discount code. So we, we, we got that, got that. Yeah, apparently he does. He, he, he confirmed that. So case study number two, what what, what what happened? How did it play out? Yeah, well, case study
2: number two, um, I'll fast forward to the end, ended up in a screaming pile of dog shit, um, unfortunately. Yes. So it didn't quite work out. And I think the thing about being real is not always do these deals work out, right? They, they so, definitely don't, know. I hear a few BAs, there's two particular high-profile buyers agents in Australia that say they've got 100% auction success. Well, that is absolute horseshit. And, uh, is it it so just you win it, Scotty yeah yeah well if you win every option then by nature of that you pay the most money every time so i don't know if that's a win uh either but anyway i I, the whole premise of what i do is trying to keep it absolutely real and transparent so i think it's great to talk about the losses the l's because you gotta learn from those right and there's some really good learnings in those that you can unpack and take away to be better for it next time around so case study two was in a similar location it was in bendigo um it was a one into three corner block um, that, you know, it was a good subdivision opportunity for an investor client of ours that I had found that property for him. And um, on paper, it looked really good. The house we knew was tired. He was happy to spend some money renovating the house. The agent told us up front that it required restumping and that it was going to cost twenty to $25,000. So those things we knew before we, we, before we got involved in it and did the inspection. What we didn't know... Is that that cost in the end would blow out substantially, and it was just not going to be um, possibility to put that deal together. But how this one came about is we started negotiating. They were looking for six hundred thousand. The long story short is we ended up agreeing to five hundred and eighty thousand the first time around. Went to contract subject to building and pest. Building and pest came back. It was a bit of a shit show around um, the restumping and and some movement of the house. So we were kind of prepared for that already, but it was worse than what we prepared prepared for. So we tried to renegotiate, and um, they were prepared to give us 560000 So I think I negotiated if I have got the numbers right off the top of my head, about $20,000 on production, um, which wasn't enough in the grand scheme of things to make it um, a viable business transaction for the client because there was too much capital involved. So we crashed the deal and, and walked. Now, for most people, that's the end of that deal. But... Being a little bit cheeky with this, and because I knew there was value in this deal if it was at the right price and we could make it work, I knew from an agent's perspective that that property is going to be really hard for the agent to sell, okay? Because they've now got a building and pest report that's shocking, Um, they've got a price where they're going to have to move south, the vendor's probably not mentally there yet, it's going to be a long road for them and it's going to be really difficult to close a buyer. So I know from an agent's perspective, the challenge it's going to be. So I just deliberately stayed in contact and did exactly the steps that we talked about before. They started to come back to me and say, okay, well, there's a sniff here. Now, the, the seed that I planted that created that opportunity for them to come back in this instance, was I said to them, well, look, you know, we've workshopped the cost of those um, repairs and make goods is going to be circa $50,000. So. You know, if your client was prepared to sell it for around that 5.30 mark, I might be able to re-engage my client. Now that was just a cold no, no chance, blah, blah, blah. This was pre-Christmas, no no way. Okay, no problems, well, we'll, we'll, there's plenty of other fish in the sea, we'll go fishing. So we just kind of left it like that and then came back and said, where are you at? He said, oh, they'll take 5.50, I think I can get into 5.50, so down 10 grand. I said, not gonna do it, yeah. Okay, cool, we've got opens this weekend, so we'll see how we go. A week later I check in, how'd you go on the weekend? Not great. Okay, cool. What will they take? <laughs> I think I can get it down to five forty-five. You know, something like, can you get you buy there? No, I can't. You know, but let's talk again, and we'll keep talking. And then another week goes past. You know, and then it just it got to the point where they came back, and he said, "I'm at five forty. I think I can get five thirty across the line. Can you give me more money? Another five? Whatever." I said, "Absolutely not. Like, we know what it's cost. It's going to cost X at this level. We're happy if she coughs up fifty grand." Um, off the price, then we're willing to trade. So we agree terms again at five thirty. Go to contract. This time, I get it subject to a restumping quote. And uh, So I got seven days for a restumping quote. The restumping quote comes back reasonably close to what we expected. I think it was about thirty-two thousand dollars or thirty-one thousand dollars. But the restumper said, "Don't touch this with you know a barge pole um, because there's so much more foundation work and issues with this house." Because it's moved so much because of the restumping issues, it's going to cost you more like hundred thousand dollars. So that was enough for us yeah, to kind right. of the deal and walk away from it altogether. Now on paper, this looked great. On physical inspection, it didn't look too bad because it was all underground, like you know, below where you could see. Um, yeah. And it's just those things where it's worth having a shot at it. Like we spent I don't know thousand dollars or twelve hundred dollars in professional fees. But if the deal stacked up and we got that across the line, he would have made three or four hundred grand probably on that on that property. Um, by yeah. splitting it into three blocks, selling them all for 300 to 340 grand each. Um, and he w- would have made really good money. He still would have made really good money if he knocked over the house, but it just was too many headaches. It was because it became like the only strategy for that deal then was a knockover and sell land. And in this market, who wants to be selling vacant lots of land? If you can avoid that, you would um, with the build costs so high. So it just we just lost interest in it. One other really interesting thing came out of that is that if you take an agent, how do I say this? An agent will um, very often at an open for inspection or when you start to show emotional interest in a home, grant you a win by saying to you something like this agent did in this instance, which was, we know there's a restumping issue and it's going to cost twenty dollars to $25,000. Now, the reason they do that is to build confidence and trust with you, okay? So there, there's a deliberate ploy in throwing that out to you to say, hey, I'm a good guy, there's a problem here, I'm disclosing it because I'm really transparent. And a lot of buyers will take that as face value and possibly not look further into the problems of the home, which he was only part, you know partly telling the story. The story was a lot worse than that, but that was enough for him to perceive that he could have got a buyer across the line by just being open and transparent like that. The other thing is, his twenty or twenty-five thousand ended up being thirty-one thousand. So you could very easily be, you know, five, ten thousand dollars out of whack by just taking it face value when you're negotiating that. That's how much a quote's actually going to be without physically going out and getting a quote for that specific repair. So there was a, there was some really good learnings in that um, process for us. Um, you know, things that we've been through before, things that we haven't been through before. Restumping I haven't done for a long, long, long time. So interesting to go through that process, but a good one to like how to stay in the game, how to stay firm at a price. We knew there was no other buyer interest. We knew it was going to be difficult, so I didn't budge a dollar, and then it came back and landed in our lap. Now, if that house was in better condition, this would have been a good luck story. It wasn't, so it wasn't meant to be, it was a miss, did, but-
1: Did you know uh, that there was no buyer interest buyer that they were going to opens so and they weren't getting weren't selling it? Correct.
2: I kept asking the agent. I was on really good terms with the agent. He was just honest with me. He said, mate, I haven't got anyone. I just need to work on my vendor. I guess I I just was struggling. We haven't got any other buyer interest like that. And it's because he's over time. He knows that he's got to disclose those issues, right? So when you disclose those issues, how many first home buyers or owner occupiers are going to be willing to five hundred and thirty grand? Or at this point, they still wanted five eighty after we crash the deal, and then put another fifty thousand plus into the into works. People just don't have access to that money, um, especially in regional Victoria or regional anywhere. So um yeah, I just knew it was going to be a challenge for them to sell that property. So that, yeah, that was, that was an interesting one for us.
0: Super interesting. Yeah, I, I would, um, I would also be interested to understand the the land itself, like if you, if you build three properties on it, are we going to have the same situation at a later date? Like. If you are buying that land has it shifted that much not, not because of the stumps but because of the land itself
2: no it was a flat block flat corner block so it was just a really old house 1930s kind of spanish mission style. Oh, yeah. home and it was just yeah it, it just it looked
1: probably just the way they it looked, built
2: it looked good in the flesh kind of until you got right up close and realized it was decaying and there was a lot of issues and a lot of it was as i say under the house which was difficult to see on inspection yeah. so, but that's why you right. do
1: it. Do we, do, we, do we finish what? on a good note? Case – well, we're not going to finish now, but case study number three. Did we have a win?
2: Yeah, case study number three was a, was a pretty simple one really for us. Like they wanted 1.1. Uh, we offered 985000 before Christmas. They came back post-Christmas. They were a motivated seller. So these are one of the ones that you really want. We got to them early. They couldn't get the price they wanted. And simply they came back to us to re-engage. They tried to re-engage at one million and 50 million and 25 we just stood firm at 985 and then I went to a million because I knew psychologically that was a number that would you know be a big deal it's forward bad. from nine eighty-five. It is, yeah and yeah we managed to agree it at, at, at a million bucks which we had done our estimate on it was worth 1.1 million they just didn't have another buyer that was prepared to pay that and they were motivated to sell it so that comes back to the we knew the worth of the property we knew our target price. And we knew that if market conditions were in our favour and there wasn't another interest there, that we had the ability to firm on it because they needed to sell.
0: So your your walk-away price was actually 1.1, but you're saying, I'm not going to my walk-away price. I know that they don't have buyer interest. But um, how long do you wait between those conversations because they could go out there and get buyer interest and then come back to you and start drumming, drumming drumming you up a little bit more as well?
2: That is a really good question. And I don't think enough people will understand how important that is. Um, And I'll give you another example of this in Brisbane that's happened this week for us, that exactly that is played out. So we've got a property where um, another property in the same suburb in the Gap for a different buyer in Brisbane. The owner wants 1.1 million. Um, They had interest in the high nines. We offered a million and five. She rang me back and said, your million and five is losing, there's a buyer above you. And I established that the buyer was at a million and fifteen. So I went to, sorry, I established that the buyer was just above us. So I went to a million and fifteen, like a a tiny step forward to that. And she said, you're in the lead, but my owner is not going to counter offer any of the three offers because you're all too far away from the price that they want. So we're going to run it to an open for inspection on uh, Thursday, tomorrow, and then possibly on Saturday and see how we go if we can get the higher price. If we don't get the price that we want and what we think it's worth, we'll come back and renegotiate with the three of you later. So I rang my client and I said, okay, we're in the lead at a million and 15. They'd set me a target price. I hope this agent's not listening, by the way, of a million and 40. And he said, well, let's go to a million and 40 and get our, our mm-hmm. best foot forward. But I said to him, there's no point going to that level because the seller is not That's ready to make it as So if I go to a million and thirty or a million and forty now, they're going to still say no, right? Because they're not mentally ready to take that price. And then when they yeah. come back to us to re-engage, you've got no, you've got no ammo. You've got nowhere to go. So yeah. you're potentially going to get mowed down by someone else or you're just going to have to say no and you can't, you can't um, step up anymore as well. So we left it at a million and fifteen, and now I've got a chance of buying it for a million, right? Because if no one else steps 100%. up to the highest bidder, we may end up saving tons of money out of it. So that's where an inexperienced buyer would put $25,000 more on the table and they don't have to and look, we may have to in 3 days time but i'd rather do it when i know more about the circumstances and when i know the seller is panicking because if they realize they can't get their price all of a sudden 1 million and 15 becomes the the benchmark and then it's up to whoever's prepared to put you more money on the table so so is it is it kind of about Absolute being willing wealth. to
1: lose the property if you know that there's market depth is or oh, not market depth there's more stock on market that you could pick up is that kind of what it's a little bit about right.
2: Um, it's more about the holding your cards, right? Like if, Mm -hmm. because if you go to that level where you've got nothing left in the tank, you, you are just exposed really, because you, someone else can offer a dollar more and you can't beat it. And, um, or the owner's going to come back and say, okay, great. We'll we'll do it for a million and fifty, and you can't do it either. So it's just frustrating. So I think you're better off to, um, leave some, you know, petrol in the tank and, and give yourself that flexibility. And sometimes it lands in your court where, You don't have to even spend another twenty five thousand. You just say, well, if they come back to you and they say, uh, there's no one else, you're at a million fifteen, but that's not enough to buy I'll just say, well, that's not enough to buy it. Then, like, you're not enough to sell it. You mean, like, yeah, that means you're not going to get a deal across the line. Like, how motivated is your client? Well, three days ago, five days ago, they'd already bought a house and they really needed to sell in week one. It's the end of week one. You still bought a house last weekend. Um, so that's Turkey. And my price is a million and fifteen. Yeah, and we just started. You do that politely. You don't. I, that was arrogant and sounds silly. But um, yeah, you do that politely and above board, and you hope that you can re-engage. And sometimes, like I just explained to you with case study one, sometimes it takes another ten or fifteen grand or whatever it might do to put it put more on the table. And because you've got that left up your sleeve, you can do that and get the deal done quick.
0: Yeah, absolute gold. Rewind this ten min five minutes and listen to that again. I think that was the most um, valuable this whole session has been about you, but that was the key point to go because any inexperienced person would have gone up for, you know, up to $40,000. Um, and you just saved a, a boat, a boatload of money. Um, well, potentially, so guys can- but at least you've got the
2: chance of saving them that money rather
0: than, um,
2: you
0: know, that's out the window. So yeah. line, the it's so important to understand the process. And this is something I learned from you, Scott, is understanding the process. What happens next, Mr. Agent? Oh, I'm 100% well, going to go to this open home. Do you want to put an offer in? No. Why the hell would I want to put an offer in? You're just going to get that offer. Hey, everyone at this open home, I've got 550 here, 550. Anyone want to go higher than that? Yeah, I will. Great you're getting shopped around you get in at the last kind of minute uh if you can well depending on the strategies and situation and all of that um well this goes back to
2: yeah what we just said before as well unless you know the three steps ahead of what's going to happen and and what the outcomes are and what then you only then can you make that decision of okay well, what's the right card to play in this situation so you need to be really skilled at this otherwise you're you know, often the only card that you've got is put more money on the table. And that's what inexperienced buyers do. They put more money on the table or they don't put enough money on the table and they freeze thinking they're paying too much because they're second guessing where market value is. They don't have a target price because they didn't think about where they'd stop. And they, you know, they freeze like deer in in the headlights and and then someone else pays 10 grand more or 15 grand more and gets the deal done. So there's those two extremes of negotiating where you just can't get caught in any of those outcomes.
0: And the agent smells that. Right. And like, this is why you need to be unemotional. They know if you you're like, oh, well, it's going to cost an extra 10,000. And that's actually where you have to go based on the negotiation and stuff. But if you come in and like, oh, I don't know about this, it's not really going oh, to, you know, you're really emotional. They, they'll smell that and be like, OK, cool. This person's not serious. They're not it's they're, they're not going to be in. They're not in it for the right reasons they're a little bit cagey they might pull out on the pest and building they might pull out on finance so if you can set the expectation i like to set the expectation with the agents and say look we're finance approved we're ready to go we are investors we've bought multiple properties for these people um we're here to buy we haven't we've never crashed a deal um out of finance and we will buy this property if we go ahead with it um as long as everything else checks out and it's not falling down um you got to kind of set that up front. I'm an investor. I'm ready to buy. Finance is approved. I've bought properties before. I know what value is, and I'm not going to fall collapse because you, they're getting so many people now first home buyers, first time investors, people that have gotten their loan pre approved, but they're on the cusp, and then the interest rate dropped, you know, and it took $10,000 from them. So now they can't actually afford this property. An agent doesn't want to take any of those people on. So you yeah. need to kind of step yourself above those by setting the tone and saying, this is who I am. This is what I've got um, I like that. Um, what, what's next? Yeah, well, well, do you want to some of the questions?
2: I don't know if there's some interesting ones there <laughs> in the comments or if you had anything else, Jeffrey.
1: Well, um, Jeffrey, who's, who's this Jeffrey? I mean, def- definitely <laughs> Jeffrey. Um, so the, the thing I wanted to go to next, and we sort of, it'd be great to crystallise these points because we've 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 sprinkled them throughout, and then maybe we can go to the document. But I want to know what are the what are some of the key mistakes that the people are making in their negotiations.
2: Um, well, I mean, we highlighted quite a few of them there, isn't it? I mean, I think the biggest thing that people make is they don't understand market value um, and then they don't set themselves that hard decision-making process of where they're going to walk away from it. So they get emotionally invested um, and then they don't understand the process. So those three things are critical to having success in negotiation. It doesn't cost any money to learn those things. It doesn't take a huge amount of time. Um, but if you can just be diligent with understanding how the, the process works so you know the steps that they come and in what order. Uh, and then I think the other big thing that Joey just said just then, which is I just see so, so, so much, even for some of our clients, it kills me, that say, I'm absolutely finance ready, and then you get to, you know, the pointy end of the transaction and they're not finance ready. It's like what bit of finance ready do we like is not clear here? Like, do you have access to the finance? Do you have a deposit? You know, do you have the funds to pay stamp duty and the rest of it? You'd think those things are really straightforward, but a lot of people just go out there and start shopping. Um, yeah, they start mm-hmm. uh, wasting agents' time, um, and then they just wait for properties to come on real estate domain, and they're not doing any of the the smart thinking about how to find these opportunities to outsmart their their you know neighborinos, or future neighborinos. <laughs> nice. Um, ton of you know uh negotiation tips and and strategies and the rest of it some of which we've touched on today and and and, you know we've done lots of other talks as well and then how to control the negotiation and the dialogue that you can use so i think there's a lot of areas like that where buyers can spend some time going back over stuff that we've talked about and i'm sure other experts on the show as well to pick up some good gems like that i think educated buyers just have a much better run at this than people that are trying to go it alone
0: yeah. And one thing I think I want to understand from you is like, how do you deal with aggressive kind of situations? Like, do you, I, I, I'm guessing the answer is you don't really find yourself in them, but I know that a lot of agents get a lot of abuse and, and uh, aggressive people coming in with their walk away offers and all of that stuff. Like, do you deal with them or have you dealt with them in the past? And how do you kind of um, unravel that to bring the deal back into play? calmness is what you said at the start which i think is really
2: relevant the whole way through the process right so you i don't really get jacked up too much unless i get played by the agent and then i'm really um happy to you know to deal directly with them in terms of calling them out on their bullshit behavior and um, seeing if i can get it done another way but look if agents want to be dodgy and do bad things there's not a lot you can do about it um as long as it sells for a price that we weren't prepared to pay then it really didn't impact the outcome anyway so I get a lot of um, clients who say, "Oh, I would have gone for that." You know, I'm like, "Yeah, but it sold for fifty thousand more than the target price you set, so it's irrelevant, right? Like someone else overpaid for it or was saw better value in it than you." So focus on what's within your wheelhouse and that you can control. So I think calmness is is good. Um, a, a lot of people get really flustered, you know, in terms of the pressure when um, mm-hmm. it comes time to perform. You know, a certain um, time frame or to step up and do something like an unconditional offer in New South Wales, for example, people don't understand waiving the cooling off period in a section 66W or used to be called 66W. Um, so those those things like that are um down to buyers being really well educated that they can be calm and that they understand that buying process and the steps to it. So that you can tip those off and go through them and have confidence as you move through them that you're not missing anything and that you can you know get the job done. I don't know if that answered your question,
0: Joey, but well, Jeff. If, if, if it didn't, um, it was a great answer. Because it's <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you do. And, and each state is completely different. Like the way that I buy in South Australia is very, very, very different to how I, even even just inspecting a property is different. Like you have to be so thorough in WA because there's no real get out of jail free cards here. There's no cooling off period. Oh, for there's no
1: acceptance, yeah.
0: Yep. yep, this is the offer. This is the acceptance, um, unless there's some real structural issues. So you got to be so diligent and so careful um, about what you're actually putting putting your money down in. However, South Australia, two day cooling off period. You can pull out for whatever reason. Um, you can sign a contract. Here we go. Let's pay it. Um, oh, it's, oh, it's got blue. It's got a stain on the bench. I don't want it anymore. Any of that stuff. Um, cool. Okay. I want to answer some of these questions. Um, And here from the people, what is this one? Um, Do you have any experience approaching owners directly for properties that aren't for sale? That's a good question. Yep,
2: lots of over time. And, of course, having done um, 20 years as a real estate principal, uh, you know, I was approaching owners directly for properties like this all the time. So tons and tons of experience dealing with private sellers and trying to get people to market and trying to buy properties off market for for clients as well. Uh, And there's a certain way that you need to approach private sellers because they're a special breed. Um, If they're private sellers that are on the market, uh, then this question specifically says that aren't for sale, but if they're on the market, I'll just answer that, that point briefly. Um, then it's typically because they think their shit doesn't stink, like they don't want to pay an agent a fee because they don't see any value in it. It's mainly because the agents told them their house isn't worth, or their property is worth um, less than than they wanted to hear, so they think they can go alone and cut corners. That's my vast experience dealing with private sellers that are on the market. The ones that are off market, um, you've really got to go to them with a compelling reason as to why they should sell. So rather than the smoke and mirrors approach, you know, with dealing with a agent and, and maybe being stealth mode if you think that's the best way to buy and um, not giving them too much of information about what you do and the rest of it. I find that my best out- outcomes have always been um, being tremendously open with private sellers and saying to them, yeah. "Look, well, um, we'd like to buy your house and we know why you probably don't want to sell your house because um, that's the reason we want to buy it, right? Because it's a beautiful home and a great street and a great location um, and our client would love to be there, or I'd love to live in that property. Um, and these are the reasons why I think this is a great offer that we're making you. Um, and in here are the savings that you're going to make by not engaging an agent. You don't have to play those games. Um, That's great. Make it really simple for you. Um, this is a written offer for you with very clear terms. We're completely flexible for you as well. So if you want to rent the property back and have your money fast, you can. If you want a long settlement so you find another property, you can. If you want your money out of there in 30 days and move on you can you know like come to them with solutions not problems Um, and i think that's a much easier way to transact with people and complete and utter transparency here's all the comparable sales here's why we arrived at x um, and we're happy to debate that with you and openly discuss why we think your home is worth why but you know here's all the inner workings for it here's where we found that data and you can go and have a look at that for yourself as well Um, And then I go to great lengths to explain to them that if you speak to an agent, which you are most welcome to do, um, be aware that the first thing they're gonna do, because I was an agent is talk you out of a private sale because they wanna get a fee out of it. So they're gonna tell you that the price is too low and that they can better that and that you should take the property to open market. Now they're only doing that because they wanna build their profile um, and they want to uh, extract a fee out of it that they otherwise wouldn't get. And if you can show me the comparable sales that back up a price that suggests that they're right, um, you know, I'm open and willing to have a conversation with you about it. But here's all of the data openly, and it doesn't lead you to a sale price of X. <laughs>
1: That's solid. I, yeah, I think we've um, I think we've spoken sort of around it. But uh, what, what sort of data? How do you determine the market price?
2: Well, same way we would always do it, like. What's on the market competing with that home right now? How hard is it to replicate that asset in the market? So is this, you want to buy a four-bedroom house in this street, are they one every 10 years? Is it one every six weeks? How long is it going to take you? Like, what's the scarcity factor? And then what are the direct comparable sales? What are the other four-bedroom, two-bathroom, two-living areas on 700 square metres that have just sold within the last 90 days, if you can, with the same aspect that are in a similar condition? Now, there's not always a like-for-like comparable, but in most areas of built-up Australia, there's plenty of data that arrives, you know, at the number that you need very quickly. Um, it doesn't take us more than, you know, honestly, if we went at it hardcore, we might be able to do it in an hour. Um, we prefer to take, you know, four or five hours to do it properly to work out where we think the market estimate sits. And um, and we'll even lean on agents, independent agents. Um, so if you had a property, Jeff, that was on the market, um, I would ring Joe who's a competing agent and say, Joe, I'm interested in buying 15 Smith Street. Um Jeff wants 1.6 for it. What do you think it's worth in your instance? And and Joe might say, listen, it's probably worth 1.7. Like we've had buyers of ours go through it already. I know one of my clients has already offered 1.72. I suspect that's market for it. Um, I can't see it going much beyond that. Um, But look, I'm not in control of the listing, Of course, the market will determine it. But I have those honest conversations. I just ring them up and say, hey, Joe, you're an expert in your field. I really respect what you do. You've got a great track record. I've called you because you're obviously – Um, you know, hold a lot of weight in your area as one of the lead agents, really like two minutes of your time just to pick your brain on this. Good agents have seen all the properties. They know it. They probably pitched for the listing and know what the vendor wants and didn't get it for whatever reason because the agent, the the owners saw three or four people before they made a decision. So we made it our business when um, I had Bell in Surrey Hills. We made it our business to go and see every one of our competitors' listings that was in our core market. So someone from our team or all of our sales team, went through all of our competitors' listings. We were at every auction that our competitors had on a Saturday so we could see where the bidding started, who was bidding and where they bid to and where it stopped and what things sold for in real time. So it's about data points, right? So they, you know, you lean on those data points and and get their opinions. But remember, everyone's got their own opinion. You you need to draw the line somewhere yourself, so you need to be educated yourself. Um, People will lean on agents and there's a vested interest sometimes in them shitbagging a property, or talking it up for whatever reason, they might it might be a mate of theirs and owns it. So you've got to you know take everything with a pinch of salt and make sure you do your own research too.
0: Yeah, and one of my favourite strategies is you look on real estate, you look on RP data, you look on domain. Some of those properties has taken three months, so it may have sold for five mm-hmm. fifty. But if if you're in a hot market. You want to know what is today's price. What is the price that things are actually selling? So what I do is I call up all of the under offers. You see a property. Hey, Cheryl, great property here that you've got listed. Um, I see it's under offer. Um, I'm looking for something exactly the same. Um, But look, you know, where are we? Where did this one end up? Um, And just be super friendly. And not all the agents are going to give you the information, but she'll say, look, this actually went for 555. Oh, wow. Actually, I was speaking to John and that one went for 555. That one went for 555. But everything on real estate and demand is at 540. So you now know where you need to kind of be because it's going to take a month or two before the pest and building, the settlement, the process gets uploaded and uplifted. Um, Yeah. Know your market inside. um, And you can
2: do that within four to eight weeks. I reckon you can be an expert in any market in four to eight weeks. If you... Track you know every listing that's suitable for what you're wanting to use as a comparable to, the, to what you end up buying. If you physically get out and inspect, I think, up to 50 properties. So if you're in a market where there's that sort of volume, um, I tend to make up to 50 inspections before I buy, or I used to at least when I was buying property myself um, for our family. So I knew what things were selling for in real time. I was going to auctions. I was understanding market depth. Um, and then very quickly, within yeah, four weeks, six weeks, you, you understand what's going on. And it's very hard for an agent to pull a wool over your eyes or for you to overpay for a private seller off market like that if you've been tracking the market really closely and then you'll have all those data points to reference.
0: 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's another great question here. Um, when you don't have another property to leverage, what other strategies do you use to get an early viewing or to put in an early offer?
2: Um, a simple answer to this is, why can't you always have another property to leverage? Because that answer is is um, really simple for me. But if you don't have another property, make one up. You know, like come up with a reason why you need to get in there. And it's, it's it might just be smoke and mirrors, but the goal is for you to beat the other buyers and to get in there as quickly as possible. So come up with a solution. Now, you don't want to tell an agent what the address of the property is because uh, you know, a lot of people go, oh, it's 15, you know, Jones Street and you're like, oh, well, 15 Jones Street's already under offer or, you know, that's not even on the market for sale. I know the owner. It's my brother or yeah. well, what, whatever, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you don't give them any ammunition or they'll try and talk you out of it and tell you how much this is better than that property or whatever it is. So just be vague and say that you've got um, time pressure to act and that you need to get through. Now, I've had people tell me that they're going on a plane and they need to get inspected by this point, otherwise won't be here or that's that they're good finance is about to lapse it is and it isn't those they're they're good excuses you'd think but they also show me as the agent that you've got time pressure to act yourself so if you're Mm. saying to me if i don't buy this property before i go on a plane i'm going to be away for two weeks or three weeks i'm like okay well then you're out of the market for that long you're going to miss a whole of opportunities what really strong offer do you want to put on on paper before you get on a plane like you're going to have to make me a really good um you know compelling reason why i'm going to sell it to you in a short time frame that means you're possibly going to have to pay a premium for it and the same with lapsing um finance i'm like okay well if your finance is lapsing that suggests to me that you're not going to get finance again because why would you even say it and if you can't get finance again then this is your last roll of the dice then i'm going to do the same thing i'm going to stay firm on my price expectations Mm -hmm. and as hard as possible because i know that you're Hard up against a deadline, so I think using leverage is better because you're just creating fear of loss, um, and and you're putting that pressure back on the seller to say, okay, well, if you don't accept me by this certain time frame, I'm gone. I'm going to go and buy another property that we see better, more value in. So, so
0: yeah, flips the flips the fear of loss, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, Yeah flips the fear of loss, straight, straight uh, quote from Scotty Aggett, yep. <laughs> um, flip the fear of loss. Um, but what happens when we're in a hot market, right? And, and the agent says, Hey, look, you, and you throw that out. And and maybe this is where it comes to timing of using this strategy. Um, but I think that what this person's saying is like, well, no, they've, they've, we've answered that question, but if we've already hit that, that number. Um, hey, I need to get into this inspection before Friday as I've already got another deal on, on the go. It's already happening. And they're like, cool. Well, I'm going to the open on Saturday. So see you later. Like you're not going to make it done.
2: Yep. yeah. And then there, there was a question there saying, um, what's the strategy to negotiate in the hot market? Well, leverage isn't going to work as well in a hot market because there's no fear of loss for the agent because the market depth is so strong that they can just yep. park you excuse me, and sell it to someone else, right, or engage multiple other parties that are going to push the price up in a competitive bidding process. So the strategy changes. My strategy in a rising market or a hot market might be, um, well, we're unconditional, we're all cash, um, we can settle in 30 days or whatever it is that I know the owner wants because I've asked all the pre-qualifying questions. Um, So it's getting yourself and all your ducks lined up that you can move really fast. Mm -hmm. Um, A strategy for me might be organising, if you're watching the market, and you know exactly what you wanna buy and you've set a shopping list and the dream property on paper comes up, what do you do in a hot market? Well, you go and drive past it or walk past it during the day and at night, you look at traffic flow and you do all those things that you would have done post falling in love with it at the first open for inspection on Saturday. So do that as Mm -hmm. soon as you saw it on realestate.com or domain if you haven't already found this off market. So take time out of the equation. And the other thing that you can do look if it ticks all the boxes and you look at it and go oh my god it's my dream street faces the right way it's in the school zone whatever the parameters are that's important to you then organize a building and pest inspection or a strata search if it's an apartment prior to seeing it because the chances are you're going to like the property anyway when you go inside it. you've seen the photos you've seen the floor plan you watch the agent's video you've been past the house morning noon and night you already know the streets, you know the school zone, you know you want to be in that position and you know it's going to fall within your budget constraints. Pre-order the building and pest or the strata report. Get it done so that you can turn up, have the contract reviewed. Turn up at the first open for inspection at one minute past 12 or one minute before 12 ideally and say, there's my offer. I've walked through the house. There it is. Unconditional. There's a cheque, whatever it is. There's all the, you know, 66W or there's no cooling off, whatever it might be. I've done all my due diligence already. And if you happen to see a seller that's motivated, there's a bloody good chance they're going to take that offer if it's a fair offer. And there's no point in a rising market or a hot market making stupid lowball offers or starting low thinking, oh, it's a really great property and I want it. But I'm just going to go like a little bit lower and it's a negotiation. I'll start low and then we'll build up to it because you're just going to get punted straight away so yeah. you're smarter to go hey this is worth a million bucks all day of the week I'm going to go to a million and ten straight up and I'm going to own it because if this gets on the open market it's going to be three or four months to replicate this asset I know there's going to be 20 people on it because I've seen there's so many underbidders at all the auctions and there's 50 people at every open for inspection at the moment so if I pay 10 grand too much for this house. It's nothing in the grand scheme of things because it's exactly the home that I want. So you've got to think about how else can I put myself in pole position to stand out from the pack. Um, and when you do that little trick with the building a pest inspection, often um, I'll turn up at the, at the, at the building a pest at the end of it legally. You know, I haven't pre-approved that, um, but the, they're very likely just to let you in because you've already paid for the building and pest. And you might just be able to quickly run around the house while the agent's on the phone or having your coffee. And then you've seen it. No one else has seen it. You might have seen it on the Tuesday or the Wednesday. And then, you know, the next day you're able to make an unconditional offer before the first open for inspections even happened.
0: Yeah, do it that night. Have a chat with the agent. Do you actually need the report? The agent just saw it. He's going to be the one writing the report. Have a chat with him about all the problems, all the issues. No, this is the best house I've seen this year. Great. Time to buy. Buy it then. <laughs> hey, Mr. Agent, here you go. Yeah, I've
2: bought properties without building and pest inspections as well, and, and for right or wrong. But if you go through a, a home and it looks absolutely rock solid and, you know, it's owner occupied potentially and you can't see any damage, it's really well cared for. What, you know, the likelihood of anything coming up into building a pest is probably you know, pretty slim anyway. It's 500 bucks. It's going to be full of disclaimers. Um, if you're going to buy the house anyway, like even if it had $20,000 worth of problems or whatever, you're still going to buy it. then you might maybe you save yourself 500 bucks if you're in a rush i'm talking in an absolute hot market it's not my preference to do it but if my dream property came on the market and that was the difference between me owning it and not owning it and i perceived it to be in good condition or even took a builder through it you know for an opinion um when i went through to do my first inspection of it there's ways that you can navigate this to your benefit you've just got to think outside of this out of the square
0: I love that. Um, if anyone has any other questions, throw, throw those in the, uh, throw those in the comment box. Um, because we'll, we'll start to wrap this sucker up, but, um, here's a great question. How to negotiate. Lisa. In- and and I'm, I'm back. How to how to
1: negotiate with an ex- EOI expression of interest by XYZ date just to do due diligence and best offer, or is there another strategy? There's not a lot you
2: can do when it's EOI. Um, Mm -hmm. The first thing i do is establish whether or not it can be bought prior to that. So you ask all those qualifying questions and see if you can knock the door down and own it before everybody else. Um, And that might be by making the offer that they exactly want or very close to it, but it stops the process of other people having a shot at the title. So that's the first thing. Um, Of course, you want to ask all the qualifying questions to make sure that you eliminate all the negatives in your offer. So it matches up and aligns perfectly with the seller's, um, you know, requests settlement date deposit sizes get rid of any you know untoward conditions etc as well to keep it nice and streamlined and clean and then all you can do is is your due diligence and understand where market value is and set your target price so when you're setting your target price there's no point offering lower and there's no point offering over you have to offer your target price and then i just end on an odd number because so many times as an agent I saw people come through and win by a $1 dollar or $100 or $1,100 or whatever it might be. So um, I've won so many by just putting those extra zero, you know, extra numbers on it. Well, actually, I don't know whether I won it because of that or not, but I have I've won tons of expressions of interest and I always finish on an odd number. But the odd number bit is overplayed. People say, oh, that's how you win it. But it's not how you win it. You win it by you know, it eliminating all the other possibilities and getting all the answers and information. And then setting it up with the ultimate offer, so it, it suits the seller's needs as best you can accommodate, and and making sure that it's a nice, clean um, process.
0: One of the questions I have is because you negotiate in every single market, you just you just you're doing it in high value. You're doing it $400,000. 400, what what is the difference between a one point five million dollar property purchase and a and a four hundred and fifty thousand dollar negotiation type? strategy like is there a difference or is it the same thing what, what does it kind of look like at lower numbers
2: people tend to nitpick over like two grand five grand those kind of numbers um, and they're more flexible typically on settlement dates and those things um, especially if you're buying investment properties when you get more into the owner-occupier market and into the bigger price brackets then people tend to negotiate in 20s and 50,000s and 100,000s um, and they're typically very specific dates because they are lining with another purchase or a sale, yeah. um, especially if they're owner occupiers. So uh, there is some big differences when you're negotiating in different price points. But um, the, the higher you go up the food chain, it tends to be that you're negotiating in round numbers. Like the amount of deals that I've landed at 3 mil or 5 mil or 6 mil or whatever it might be, right on the nose. Um, you know, and it might be that the owner's at six and a half, but you end up getting the deal done at six, and there's just no common ground. Like it was either always going to be six or you were paying six and a half. So it was never going to be 6.3. <laughs> it's just weird that people just fixate on certain numbers. Psychology. So it's more psychological um, in terms of where the numbers sit. Um, so, yeah, horses, of course, is depending on where you buy and what price point.
1: This, this is an interesting question. Um, so because yeah WA is where a lot of people are looking and buying at the moment in WA you can only make one offer each time how do you put an offer in without a time deadline and avoid being locked out of putting in another offer whilst waiting for the agent to get back to you I think I know might know the this, but what are your thoughts Scott
2: uh, well I mean I think we've covered this a lot isn't it like you've got to we've just sort of answered this a few different ways in terms of determining where market value is and it's it's yeah. similar to the EOI thing really. If you're going to get one shot at it, you need to really understand the value of the home and then what you're prepared to lose it for. So, it, yeah. it, you know, if it's if it's worth four fifty and you are trying to be cheeky and buy it at four thirty at the moment in WA, then you're probably going to lose it to someone who pays four sixty um, because people are paying just that little bit extra than what most people see as market value because it's just a you know the market's really hot. So you you've got to understand the market like joey said like be a ninja level at your suburb or your two suburbs because then you're not going to miss these opportunities and a lot of inexperienced buyers will miss many times because they'll just not have the as brian says their balls of steel to go to the max level that they know the house is worth they second guess you know the value of the home they're not confident in in understanding market value um, and they lose because of that, because someone else comes in and they're highly confident with the number that they want to spend. Um, and it takes inexperienced and first-time buyers, especially quite a few misses before they realise actually mm. the agent is right and this is going to sell for more money and um, I need to step up to the plate and actually put a proper offer on the table, otherwise I'm just going to keep losing and the market's just going to continue to get away from me. So, yeah, yeah the way, I mean, the the... Uh, example that I discussed before, if you've been listening from the start, for that that Facebook user um, yeah. that we offered uh, four fifteen, and then they sold it for north of four sixty yesterday, and they didn't even call us back. Well, I made one offer, um, but they initially said they would call me back and talk about negotiating yeah. or, or going further, and then didn't. So, uh, whether or not you can only put one offer in, in that instance. Um, they led me to believe that there was going to be another opportunity to to talk about it further, which is why we didn't put a higher number on it. We left some ammo up our sleeves, but in, did, in that instance, did you have a
1: stern word with the agent in that situation? Or?
2: Well, I was just pissed because they didn't call us back. Like,
1: well, why yeah, when would, they said they're going to do something,
2: they don't do it. Like, right. what, what's, And what's but also, if you, your job as an agent is to work for the seller. If you've got a whole oh. heap of people that made offers and you never call them back to see what they're prepared to pay. You haven't done your job, right? Like you might have one standout buyer that's over four sixty, but what if there was other buyers that wanted to pay over that as well? That was my yeah my beef with open negotiation, which there's a lot of that in WA at the moment as well that we're competing at um, with negotiations is that it forces you to bid a certain number, and if you don't want to bid that number, you're excluded from the negotiation. So if you wanted to pay five sixty, but it says the next bid has to be at five seventy you can't put a bid in, you're just excluded from it. So if you put 570 in and then they wanted, someone else came in and put 590 and you weren't prepared to pay 610, which is the next bid, they're never gonna call you back. They're just gonna take the bid at 590. And you're like, well, hang on, I I might be at 570, but I might see value at 620. You just haven't engaged me because I can't see the color of the other buyer's eyes. And I can't really determine where the end closing date is going to be, there's no emotion in it for me. It's just soulless. It's a really bad way, I think, and a lazy way of selling a home. Um, and you'll come up against AWA as well. So uh, again, all you can fall back is fall back on is knowing what market value is and where your walk away number is, and then just putting that on the table. And then at that point, if, if it's meant to be, it is, and if not, walk away.
0: Yeah, hundred percent, Scotty Agate. This has been an unreal session. Thank you very much for. Um, going through some of these and it's cool to hear from the failures right like i think you learn from so much more from other people's failures than you do from successes so it's cool that you shared some of those and not saying that you failed as you didn't fail at all it's just the money wasn't there right that someone got emotional right you set the price someone got emotional and paid more we do not do that as investors we do not get emotional. We just go ahead and buy that. Um, but how can people learn more about all of these strategies? Because this is the this is one of the challenging things that I find with really good people with really good content, right? You you just say, here's all the information. But we just sat here for, Jesus, an, an hour and 40 minutes. Um, but it's not structured. It was just a free-flowing conversation. So this is where um, we talk about a little, a little course you've got going on. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, well, I guess I've
2: tried to unpack the 28 years of experience into a structured 44-lesson course, so good for adult learning. About three hours' worth of content. You can read it or you can watch it in video if you want to see my beautiful face. Um, It's called Get Buy Ready, so getbuyready.com.au, and it's deliberately um, structured in four sections, which is find, analyze, negotiate, and transact. So I've just data-dumped my experience into that. Um, And I've tried to make it really simple for people to understand. So if they go there, um, that'd be a great place to start. The other thing that we've um, done recently is we've put a whole heap of our resources. So um, negotiation strategies, how to analyze property, um, valuation tips, how to negotiate with the bank, whatever it might be. There's tons of resources. We write a lot of content and we're really engaged in that process and we love sharing. So if people want to go to um, resources.hellohouse.co, um, they will find all the, all the resources that we put up there and people can download those at no cost and play around with them or read up as much as they want to as well. And we'll continue to build on that. So if they go to that website, hollowhouse.co, um, they'll get tons of information or they can reach out to me at any time and I'd be happy to answer the questions as I always am in the group. I love answering them in the group because it's there for everyone to pile on. Um, I think that's kind of good you know to be open and uh let people also give us their opinions and things or fight me on different mm-hmm. things which is what i love
1: is it is, um, is there is there a spreadsheet as well that you've or we're not ready for that spreadsheet you know? no we've done um well we've got we
2: use a spreadsheet in house which is um how we break down the value of a property so comparable sales what else is on the market um mm-hmm. sam our um you know property valuation expert is uh, he uses his sort of valuation formula. So if people want access to that, we'll share you share that with you um, at, at no cost. You can access that. It's not you know anything that's incredibly unique IP, but it's the most important thing is it's really well um, segmented. So it's really easy to follow. And if you put the data in, it really spits out the numbers that you need, and you can arrive at market value really quickly and what your target price is. So there's some really good information there to make sure it's a good checklist. So. Um, go download download that one. And then the only other thing that we haven't talked about, but we can hopefully save that for another day, is um, the prop tech stuff that we're building, which is really to automate the find process that's in the course. So we're a couple of weeks away from um, beta testing that. We'd love the OzProp listeners to be part of that um, beta testing if they're out there wanting to buy a property, but we can talk about that uh, as and when that suits you guys. But if, if they want to go and um, go to the website and register on that um, resources page. We'll capture all their information to keep them up to date with the beta
0: testing and when that launches as well. Love it. Love it. Um, Thank you very much, Scotty. And, And, and I think, the value of the course is unreal. I don't know if we've got a link that, that we use, what link we're using for it. Um, but I run, everyone in my business goes through this course. Everyone has to go through it. So I hope I, I don't have to pay for extra logins, but everyone has to go through it because it's unreal value. And um, if you're buy, buying a property and you're going to try and do it yourself without the help of someone like Scott Agate and Hello House, then yeah, do it. It's the, it's going to be the cheapest thing that you buy um, and you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck um Thank you. but Jeff, Jeff,
2: anything- I, was, I was just gonna say if you sent that spreadsheet which is the link to what i shared with you before we've updated it so they're better oh. off getting the, up, the most up-to-date one because we've just changed our spreadsheet slightly um oh, so cool. you go to the website and get it if you're happy to share that well you've already shared it anyway so it's resources at lihouse.co and the up-to-date version of it is there with all the other
1: information. it was updated five hours ago apparently Oh, well, there you go. If
2: it's been updated, yeah, that's Sam's. Sam's. We're we're constantly changing things and updating it because yeah. you, you want to have the most up to date information as
1: possible. It's a it's a Google sheet. It, it updates Google. in real time.
2: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like Done.
0: Somewhere else. All good.
2: Nice one. Well, Thank you,
0: gentlemen. Thanks for having that's me. Wonderful chat. Let's make it happen. Let's go out there and negotiate a cracking deal. Thank you very much, Scotty Aggett at Hello House. See you later, right. guys. See you guys. Have a great night. Hear more interviews and share your story with some of Australia's top property experts and commentators now by joining the Oz Property Investors Facebook group with over 25,000 property investors so we can all become better property investors together. Just a quick reminder that anything we covered on this podcast is not considered as financial advice. This is general information only. You need to go and speak with your qualified professionals to understand your unique circumstances as this is general advice only. If you got any value out of this podcast, feel free to recommend us to your friends and leave us a review. Thank you very much for listening and have a fantastic day. Let's go buy a property.